Welcome to Grow Opportunity, the podcast, featuring conversations with Canadian cannabis industry experts. This podcast addresses numerous facets of the commercial cannabis marketplace, from plant health and cultivation to testing, extraction, and distribution. Visit growopportunity.ca to subscribe to our print and digital media platform. This episode of Grow Opportunity, the podcast, celebrating our top grower winners, is sponsored by Canna and GrowDan. Canna provides high-quality, easy-to-use fertilizer solutions and growing mediums for your plants. Canna understands the importance of clean, consistent, and traceable inputs, as well as keeping it simple so you can focus on what matters most. Optimize your garden with Canna and visit canna.ca slash commercial to learn more about their commercial growing solutions. Grodan Stonewall congratulates top grower award winners Brian Rusk, Into the Weeds, and Genevieve Newton, Stewart Farms. Grodan Stonewall first sprouted over 50 years ago in the Netherlands. Soon after, cannabis growers in North America began using their first Stonewall products. Today, they've revolutionized indoor cultivation like never before. Grodan continually invests in new science and growing trials to pass on techniques to improve cannabis grow operation and crop yields. Their customer and technical support teams partner with growers to dream big and surpass goals. Grodan remains rock solid through times of historic change and into the brave future at any scale. Like the top grower award winners, Grodan is designed to grow. They are the original Stonewall since 1969. Hello and welcome to Grow Opportunity, the podcast. I'm your host, Haley Nagasaki, editor of Grow Opportunity Magazine. And today we have a super, super special guest. We have the winner of our top grower award 2023, Genevieve Newton, head grower and director of cultivation at Stewart Farms. Genevieve, how's it going? Welcome. How are you doing today? Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. I am doing really well. I am here in my office right now in St. Stephen, New Brunswick, and I just popped up to chat with you. Uh, we're in the middle of a two-day harvest with our Brittany's frozen lemons. Uh, usually we do things in one day, but these are beasts. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And so it's a two-dayer. I am just, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm so excited that, uh, that you won this year. I'm so excited that our judges, you know, saw all of your incredible talent um, your merit in this this competitive yeah. this industry, and I want to talk so much about uh, what you've been up to lately, what you've been up to this year, because it's been a huge year. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, so let's 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 start with uh, what you've been doing. So you said Brittany Brittany's frozen lemons. What show me a picture of your cultivation space, your expected yield, your square footage, stuff like that, so people kind of get an idea. Yeah, so this is pretty fresh. Um, I recently took down a smaller room. So right, so here at the farm we have um three flower rooms two of them are 320 square feet canopy space so fairly small um, and that's just the canopy and then um the smaller r d flower room um is about 200 square feet canopy space i believe so we had about 128 britneys in that room and mm -hmm. we're currently um dialing in soil we're doing our own inputs now we were um with a company well two companies um, and so now we've just decided to take things into our own hands. So those Britneys, I just got uh, the trimming numbers back. And so after trimming dried sellable Brittany, we have 50 grams per plant, which is really my goal. So in that room, being that they were more stressed out under yield, this new room with 300 Britneys, twice the size better health. I'm expecting 
probably closer to 60 grams per plant. Fantastic. And mm-hmm. is this uh, is this for the Canadian market? Is any of this for export? Where's it going? <laughs> I hate to break it to Canada, but all this Brittany is headed <laughs> for Australia. No! I know my, my DMs are lit up on Instagram because I've been posting pictures of this harvest and we haven't had any Brittany in stock in Canada for a while. Um, I used to have the micro, I had a couple micro um, of our partners growing it and it just, the quality hasn't been there. And so we decided to grow it here to pump it back into the system. And uh, people are excited to see it back, but unfortunately it's all going to Australia. So those guys can stay happy, but I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the medical market in Australia and how, uh, how Stuart Farms began exporting this year. Yeah, um, earlier this year, um, we started looking into becoming uh, Canadian GMP certified. And so we went through that entire process and were able to ship out a few export shipments um, before July 31st. And then the rules kind of changed. And so now things you need to be EU GMP certified. And so we're in the middle of um, getting that completed so that we can keep exporting. Um, But that kind of came about just you know, through Tanner with his contacts. And um, when he first presented it, I was actually pretty scared. Like, no, I don't think this is a good idea. Um, Just because there's always so much going on. But uh, we did it. Tanner has a way of, um, you know, I can under value what I can get done, I guess, sometimes. And he's like, no, you can do this, you can get this done. And and I, I, I do, I get things done. So totally. um, we got GMP certified. We lost our QA during that time. So we were without a QAP for a few months. Um, we had like contracted ones, of course, or we couldn't run, but um, I had to learn QA really quickly, um, especially with the S- export stuff. Uh, right after that, Health Canada is on the prowl. So they, they started doing their tours around Canada. So we got hit with the Health Canada audit and a CRE audit right after that or it was before I don't know it was a cloud of audits like Mm -hmm. for two months so um you know in the middle of all that we were still exporting we got four we got four shipments out to Australia uh within probably six months that's wild yeah you had a you had a crazy year a lot more landed on your plate um so tell me about your micros again you've partnered with one in Fredericton one in BC who else have you got? Yeah. So when I first joined Stuart Farms, that was part of the job too, was uh, Tanner already had a few micro partners that he was working with. And so I developed relationships with, with them and um, we worked together to grow our genetics, our way just in their facilities. And so not none of that has changed. We've just dialed in. Um, we have less facilities because it was up to six at one point. Um, it's much easier to manage less. <laughs> um, and then we also dialed in our strains. And so we had four different ones that we were using for rec last year, maybe even more than that, five maybe. And now we have our two main ones, which is Daily Grape and the Brittany's Frozen. So we designate a micro facility. Um, so the one out in Cape Breton, for example, is designated for Brittany's Frozen Lemon. So that's all they grow out there. And then it's one of the smaller ones. They only have one flower room. And so that one, that's another reason why we don't have it consistently. 
And then um, the two other ones, because Daily Grape has been such a hit, not just in Australia, but also in Canada. Um, it's award-winning. We we actually came in second this year for New Brunswick uh, Cannabis Cup, which is consumer voted. So that was pretty cool. That's very cool. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. That was actually prior to the Daily Grape even being launched. So I got the feedback from Cannabis NB. The bartenders were saying that people were spending $250 on these boxes, these um these judging boxes because of the smell of the daily grape and they wanted to try it. <laughs> wow. That's super cool. That's super yeah, cool. So some good feedback about that, but uh, yeah. So because of all of, of that, the, like we can't keep daily grape in stock here, which is like a good problem, but also a very stressful problem. So we grow, we have one room designated here for daily grape, one room designated for Brittany. And then our, our smaller room, it alternates Brittany and grape. And then also use for some R and D stuff for next year um but then the two bigger micros are fully daily great they just do things like basically the same way that we do as as closely as possible mm -hmm. and you're Organic. you're a nursery as well so you're you're selling clones like not just through your farm yeah. store but like to other <laughs> lps and so there's you know your clones are sort of spreading like coast to coast which is super cool yeah, that is so wild. Like when I got here too, like we hunted all this stuff. The daily grapes specifically, I dropped all those seeds. Like I'm very invested in that strain particularly and so, and the banana that's coming out next year from that same run. But like the Brittany, the dosi cakes, the race fuels, the French toast, all the things that are in our library, there was lots of them when I got here. So we had to go through a few rounds to, to dial everything back. And then selling that Brittany to uh sundial selling that Brittany to organigram you know it's really cool that my friends out in Alberta were able to try this Brittany my friend Danielle that's her favorite strain and she buys it from sundial I let her try it when she came out here grown by us and she just like completely went wild like she couldn't believe just like it's just such a popular strain and to know that it's available across Canada doesn't matter if I'm growing it or not but it's just a really cool feeling so cool. Um, okay. So I want to talk, so this is, this is cool because this podcast is coming out around the same time as, uh, the, the magazine, which of course you're on the cover the cover story. Um, we talk a little bit about your history in cannabis, uh, your journey, I guess, how you began growing. And so let's, let's just look at the highlights there. So you went, you began studying, you went, you, sorry, you went to olds, eh? Like you studied there for a little bit yeah. and then you did a placement. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I had to break out of the social work. I was doing social work for the last 20 years up until 2018. Um, school work, you know, group homes, everything. Otherwise, that was my entire life, basically. And so, uh, and burnt out at the end. So in order to break free and like, get my resume presentable, I felt like I needed to take some sort of course. And so um, Olds, that was like an hour and a half from Edmonton. And it was almost completely virtual it was six months and so I basically quit my job as a social worker retired is what I called it and then right after summer I went back to school until the next fall or sorry the next February so that would have been yeah 2018 and uh, I got placed in acreage farms right after I completed that course that was like the final practicum I did two weeks and that was my first experience in a facility because I was so worried. I really sometimes don't, I am pretty logical, but I can like jump first and think later. 
And I just had such a passion or I just felt like I needed to do it so much that I quit my job before knowing if I was even going to like it working in these facilities. So when I went to Acreage Farms, it was like the make it or break it. Like, did I Mm -hmm. ruin my life or am I about to like get on this new adventure, you know? I like that. I like that a lot. And it also, yeah, but it also speaks to like, you know, the, I think the feminine spirit in a lot of ways, it's not this like left brain calculating like risk. You know what I mean? It's just like, just throw yourself in, in, go with it, you know, trust yourself. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Like I remember having a bonfire and I burned all my social. (laughs) You had to like take these things year after year to get to recertified and like re-register. And my friends were there, my social work friends, and they're looking at me like, are you sure you want to do this? And I'm like, yeah, man, I am never coming back. And I did all that before I even started. That's amazing. Thankfully, when I got to Acreage Farms, um, the master grower, their brand, and I don't remember his last name, but he was so kind and so gentle. That really could have been a make or break situation based on the next few master growers that I met after that. So I don't know. I'm just always grateful that I had such a great experience there. They were really repped out there by Remo too. And at that time I was a big fan of Remo and I was using Remo. And so I thought it was so cool that they knew Remo and they were, you know, they were connected that way. It was like my first taste of what the cannabis community was like, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then from there you went to where, what were we? Where'd you yeah. Okay. Yeah, Sundial was my next spot, and that was a wild adventure just in itself. Um, There were some ups and downs, but just like any startup, like, you know, I got there when, you know, it wasn't quite the beginning, but they were just opening up their new building in Old, and there was maybe 200, I was like one, 200 and some employee, and within four months, it had gone from 200 employees to like a thousand employees, so. Wow that's a lot of onboarding and we were coming in by droves like we were in like it was the craziest thing I'd ever experienced like and I'd worked 10 years in the hospitality industry bartending and stuff as like my side job when I was doing social work so I thought nothing could really shock me but yeah they were bringing (laughs) people in like 20 people in an interview and then like it's like you're on on the stage and they're like Contestant number two, seven, 11, step forward. (laughs) (laughs) You will be working in cultivation. (laughs) Number 13, 12, like you're going to post-harvest, you know, like it was a really crazy experience and they laid people off the same way, to be honest. It was like herding cows to get people in and get people out. And I really have no negativity about any of that because I approach life as like, it's a new adventure, right? And I was there for a different reason. I was there to learn and man, did I fucking learn while I was there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was on a team of all men. Like even like when I first got there, I wasn't supposed to be, it was like this group thing. And there's like, these people went this way, this people went this way. And I was in this wrong group somehow. And I could tell the guys are like, ah, fuck, like we got this lady coming in like, oh, great. And, um, but I proved myself within two days, every single one of those guys was asking the boss if they could keep me and I was supposed <laughs> to another groove. Well, that's <laughs> the thing too. 
it's like, yeah, you know, you're having I to prove yourself, up. but well, yeah, yeah, of course, but you have to like being a woman in a male dominated space. It's like, it's like this constant having to prove yourself over and over and over. You can't just walk in and be like, Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm gonna do it well. And the guys are like, yeah, yeah, I believe you. It's like- <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember to this day, I can close my eyes right now. And I am walking into that huge room that fits 4,000 plants and seeing them doing a transplant, um, plugging Rockwell with uh, emitters and they're all fucking blasting it like they're just going hard and they looked up for a second saw who I was and I could see the disappointment in all of their faces <laughs> and those some of those guys are my family now like my yeah. best friend because that was like we we trauma bonded there and like we went <laughs> I don't know what else to call it, but we went through like everything together. They paid mm-hmm. us well. So that was good. But, you know, like we did shift work. So it was 12 hour days, 10 hour days, uh, four days on, three days off, five days on, four days off. You know, it was just all over the place. Christmas, holidays, weekends, didn't matter. Like mm-hmm. we had lunch together. We had supper together. We partied together. We did everything together. So it just really, I would never give up that experience <laughs> for nothing. But yeah, be, being on that boys team, I had to prove myself constantly. So we were constantly joining other groups and like, you know, although I was respected within that team, it wasn't the same outside of that bubble. Mm-hmm. And um, that's like, you know, just watching some of the leads even talk about what they can do or you'd ask them, oh, what are you growing at home? You know, like, what are, what is your experience or how many strains have you grown? And then they list off all the strains they're growing at Sundial. And I'm like, you're not really growing any of those. Like, what mm-hmm. are you growing at home? You know, like, just like, I don't know. It was, it was totally, it, it was a pretty different vibe there. It's a real sink or swim though. And I feel like that's probably a good place to start, you know, with it being really intense and really, you know, just really full on and then kind of being able to carve your own path after that. Um, yeah, but- I decided to get out of cultivation when I was there and move into the direction of irrigation because I saw how much ego was in cultivation and how much competition there was really um there's a lot of great growers there and there is enough space for everyone but um not in the job way so it's like uh, I wanted to set myself up for success and to be able to um, add to my resume I guess and Mm -hmm. like just have something that floated me to the top I suppose so irrigation was the avenue that I took because no one really wanted to do it but it was a new way for me to learn like different systems. Like they had the Argo system there, although I wasn't touching it at all. It was just a grunt. Um, I was still learning how to take leech tests and like, you know, do big factory stuff. And then um, Candry, that's where you continued with irrigation, right? Yeah. So that exactly, that led me into a different avenue. Um, So within a few months of getting irrigation experience at Sundial, um, I had enough experience that I could apply for the lead position at Candry. So I wanted to get out of Sundial and I applied for that position and got it and moved over there and they were just starting up. So it was like another startup, which is what I love. I love the chaos. I love the crisis. I mm-hmm. love the learning that comes with it, right? Like I flooded many rooms there by sending water to an empty room where there's no irrigation. It just comes out of the wall. Um <laughs> you know, like we had to set up the system there. It was just, it was such an experience. So I did that for a year. Um, and that moved me from irrigation into, because I became, uh, like nosy, I guess there and just started like butting into cultivation things. And it was a very small team. And so when I 
saw things that I felt could be better. I was giving people my opinions and um, eventually worked my way into production coordinator there. Cool. And so and I was mostly overseeing the staff. So there was a master grower, um, like I guess an alternate master or a R&D lead and then me so it was like me and two guys leading the the team I was like the people person and they were doing like the schedules and the plant stuff or whatever but that's also where you started uh documenting well I know that you had documented your own grow logs and things like that prior to getting into the commercial space but that's where you started like using Instagram and stuff like that and sharing what was going on sort of behind the behind closed doors yeah so I was always using Instagram for all my home stuff still, but it was very taboo at the beginning of uh, legalization in 2018-19 when, you know, no one was allowed to have their phones on the floor. Um, and it was for a pretty good reason, you know, like they didn't want to give away secrets. They didn't want to, um, the plants were not always doing great. Like you just, you can't keep track of it when there's a thousand people. So I just like would take secret videos, I guess. And um, was just creating my own videos for me and stuff. And then when I got to Kandri, um, they were letting me post. Um, mm-hmm. So they trusted that I uh, wouldn't post anything of plants that weren't healthy or where it wouldn't, you know, where it would put them in a bad light or anything. So mm-hmm. I was given more freedom to let people see what goes on inside these facilities. Cause I want to say like, there wasn't a lot of people posting um what was going on or how your medicine was being grown um even now there's more micro people really getting involved and you see a lot more dancing in the rooms and stuff but um there really wasn't people showing off what was going on you know mm-hmm. so- and I want to I want to come back to the the dancing in the rooms but uh that's how that's how <laughs> Katrina that's how Katrina found you right that is so like that that was a a thing that um led me to this place was that once I was you know, the last six months there, I was able to, I was making reels and um, helping with their social media. And they had a few different marketing people that were involved. And we had a few different people that we were growing for there, like uh, Violet Tourist and um, uh, Tommy's Weed was being grown there. So like, you know, I was helping supply them with some of the pictures and the videos. And, you know, it, it was fun. Like I learned that that was also kind of like something I was good at and like to do within this industry and also very necessary. And people charge a lot of money for that. I know this. Um, and so, you know, me blasting that stuff all over the place, Katrina uh, somehow saw me <laughs> on her news feed probably dancing with plants and showed it to Tanner Tanner had gone through a few different directors here um and then you know things just weren't driving he just didn't find the right person and he was looking for somebody who wanted to be in the rooms with the plants and wanted to be in the back and you know um that was me <laughs> so he reached out pretty much right away and that very first Zoom call, he was offering me a job. And uh, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It was like the middle of COVID. I'd never ever been to New Brunswick. And he's like, what do you want to be called? I remember that. And I was like, I don't know. He's like, I know you don't like the term master grower. He said, but that's what you'd be. He said, but what do you want to be called? And I said, director of cultivation. He's like, done. <laughs> Amazing. And so it, I did take some time to think about it. After that, I met with him a couple more times on the Zoom. I was even strong at first where I was like, I need to come out there and see everything. Like, I'm not going to get tricked again into one of these (laughs) facilities with these CEOs that don't give a fuck about plants. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I went based off of what Katrina told me and his vibe. And I just took the risk again and just drove nine days away <laughs> and uh, just relocated for this job. I wanted mm -hmm. to get out of corporate cannabis and get to the passion. And I, I could tell that Stewart Farms was going to be that place. And it mm -hmm. was, and it is, I'm still here. I had said like, I don't stay at a place longer than a year because I feel like I can learn as much as I need to learn in a facility and then move on to the next one. Because my end goal is to, you know, get 10 more years of experience and then travel the world maybe, you know? Beautiful. Um, and so it was never meant for me to stay at any particular place forever, right? Mm -hmm. And now you've been there um, two years. I know because this place is the yeah. most challenging place I've ever worked. <laughs> it keeps it spicy and it keeps me learning and okay. the people I love yeah. it here. oh of course of course and um so I want to talk about your your history your background now as well we didn't really get into it too much in your uh in the in the cover story but just um sort of about your heritage and and how you came to be doing what you're doing and and just understanding of yourself and your surroundings I want to talk a little bit about that okay um so a lot of people will ask me sometimes like how or they want to be taught how to connect to the plant um, because I, I, I do connect with the plant and I know that people can visually see that and they want to do it too. But my, my thing is always like, you can still do it, but it's like, it has to come from within. It has to be genuine and it takes a lot of work. It's not easily just switched and connected, right? The first thing we have to do is connect with ourselves. And so I feel like probably almost my whole life, I um, have felt this disconnect. Um, and until I pretty much got sober, I didn't start feeling that connection again. But I do remember as a young child, um, having these connections with gardens and plants, my grandpa uh, would grow, and I would spend all my time in the garden with him, my dad well, was really into gardening. And so there was always this like, respect for for plants and for nature. Um, I was adopted uh, as a baby. And when I was 20 years old, my birth mom reached out. Uh, she wanted to meet me. And I had never really thought about it. I always knew I was adopted. I grew up, um, you know, my parents let me see my adoption papers. You know, uh, I met my birth mom and I realized that my adoption papers were all a lie. Um, I found out I was Indigenous uh, when I was 20 years old. And so I happened to be going through social work uh, for university at the time. And so it was pretty exciting for me to learn about my history. It was very confusing too at the time because my, my history had been told that I was actually Irish and English, and that wasn't even the case at all. I recently had my ancestry DNA, my so they have my DNA, but I got it tested just to be sure. And it's, I am, I'm Métis, and mm. it's not even English or Scottish or Irish, it's Norwegian and Russian. Wow. So it's, uh, I learned later on, like I hadn't, I didn't know anything about the 60s scoop or like anything like that. And I'm not saying that I'm part of that, but what they used to do, and I learned this, by becoming a social worker and learning about how things were done in the past is that it was a very, very much a copy and paste. And so 
native babies or half native babies would be given up for adoption. And they would know that they would have this um, Indigenous ancestry, but they wouldn't be able to find families for them most often. And this happened in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. And it was basically a whitewashing. And so mm-hmm. they would take your adoption papers, throw it in like your your history, your birth certificate, everything just like trash. And then here's a copy and paste saying that both my parents that I went to were teachers, which wasn't true. So my birth mom actually thought that I had gone to two teachers and that I was living somewhere in Southern Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. And so I learned on both sides that both copies were copy and paste. So none of my history was accurate up until I was 20 years old. And so slowly over the last 25 years, I've been learning more and more about my history and I don't fully have it all yet because I don't have, besides my ancestry DNA, which also says that I have indigenous roots in Ontario. Hmm. uh, My mom has told me, she doesn't give me a lot, but my birth mom has told me that uh, my father's from Thunder Bay and that he's also Métis and Mohawk. So I don't know a lot about any of that. Um, but what it did for me when I was 20 years old was it threw me into this like um, spiritual world. So for finally, I felt like I fit in somewhere. Um, I grew up in Regina, which is, you know, heavily Indigenous. And so I grew up looking Indigenous as a kid and getting um, beat up for being Indigenous mm. and almost being a little bit racist as a kid being so angry that people thought it was indigenous, like how mm. disgusting. I mm. hated myself like that. Wow. Like that's crazy, right? Yeah. So when you go through that kind of stuff as a kid and then you grow up and then you have to like twist that all around. I felt like I was blessed enough um, by being in a social work course at the time. I was really wrapped up in Aboriginal studies is what it was called and indigenous learnings and teachings and Cree stuff. And so I really just like got connected to elders. Um, as soon as I started working in, in Edmonton and social work, I was immediately connected to, um, all sorts of diverse cultures, but I reached out mostly to indigenous elders. And I, um, I still have some of those people that I call for advice and they're still my mentors to this day. Um, when I went to treatment, when I got sober in 2012, I went to an indigenous, indigenous treatment center outside of Edmonton called Poundmakers. Um, it's the best place I could have ever got sober. Ceremonial stuff all day long, sweats every week. It, it introduced me to sweats. I, I had been doing sweats, I guess, through school and through work, but this really introduced me to sweats. Mm-hmm. So I was feeling more ceremonial. I was more in touch. Um, I actually remember being in a sweat lodge with one of the elders and I was my first, you know, couple months of sobriety. And I was seeing all these people have these reactions in there, like feeling the feeling the touch of God and like letting stuff go and vomiting. And like, I was so jealous that I just sat there, like couldn't cry. Like I'm so emotional now, but I I'm a completely different person than I was back then. And I remember the elder saying to me, he was like, you, you need to be patient with yourself. You need to let yourself release the pain as slowly as your body is going to do it. Because if I was to release all that pain in that moment he said it would kill me Mm -hmm. and it like struck me solid you know so like since those experiences I just kept up the ceremonial stuff so even when I got out of treatment I still went back to Poundmakers every month and sweat I started connecting to Enoch people and then I was sweating out there with sun dancers Mm -hmm. Um, and so through this whole process of 
years and years of just like really throwing myself into it, um, I just became more connected Mm -hmm. to the land, to plants, like every living thing that I touch, I feel a connection, human, plant, otherwise, so strongly that sometimes it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that that so much. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that answers. I just went on a tangent. No, it's, it's, I wanted to, I wanted to hear all of that. I think it's important. And uh, so your, your Métis, your Cree, is that you had said before? Yeah, I grew up mostly with Cree teaching. So I use the word Cree lightly, but I don't actually know. Like my mom, it's very vague, right? So Mm -hmm. I, I'm Canadian Indigenous is kind of what I say. And like, I am wrapped up in any of the, the tribes I can be involved in. Like out here, I went seeking for it right away because it was during COVID when I came out here. So it's like, I couldn't really, there were no sweats going on. There were none of the ceremonial stuff. It was already feeling really like blocked or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but out here, there isn't as much. Um, it is more rural. There's there's definitely not as much resources, but like Micmac, I want to learn about the cultures out here. Mm-hmm. Um, Mohawk, I would go through Ontario and I would learn about that. But um, yeah, I smudged before I did this show because I wanted to make sure that anything that I spoke about in this way um, was appropriate to talk about. So mm-hmm. I feel good. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's incredible because you've had this, this journey, this you know, this, it sort of eclipsed who you were as a child and you didn't know. And then it was this pain and this addiction. And then it's sort of this coming to yourself and to nature. And like, it's this incredible healing journey. And then to share that and be literally creating medicine for other people. And it's, and then that informs like your, your um, relationship with the plants and understanding that they have their own, um, you know, we were talking about the secret life of plants and plants having, uh, you know, spirits or, or sort of like an intelligence. And then you're kind of interacting with that and sharing it. It's just beautiful. Um, yeah, I just wanted to to highlight that because it's really worth talking about. Thank you. Yeah. The plants are smart. They understand, they know if you're there to, um, respect them or not. They, there is a difference when you're working in a factory versus working in a smaller place like this where we're hand watering each plant. I can feel it when I walk in the rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, I also use uh, different stones and stuff to take out negativity from the rooms. Um, I know there's no science in any of that, but uh, different stones for different rooms. I had actually a friend this summer went. she went to Australia and brought me back two native Australian crystals for my rooms for the Australian <laughs> plants. Um, you know, just like mm-hmm. neat stuff like that. Uh, I dance for my plants. I, the plants, they know I'm there, you know, I think um, cannabis is the most chemically complex plant in the plant kingdom. So I said to you earlier, like it's, not unreasonable to think that they would also have the highest EQ of any plant mm-hmm. or emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I feel it. At the <laughs> end. Like I thank them. You'll say, Oh, then you go and kill them. You know, but it's like, no, there's a difference when you're doing it with respect the whole time. My plants know that they're being used for medicine. For sure. Um, part of my vibe is an input into them. So when I'm feeling a type of way, I'll go in there and either give them love or receive it depending on how I feel that day. And 
I am positive that that stuff goes into them, like mm-hmm. in a in a way that affects the medicine afterwards. I would completely agree with you um, through my own growing experience and what I've grown and what people, you know, say to the stuff that I've cultivated and stuff. Like, I feel like that's, that's totally true. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's just a matter of being able to connect with that and and to find that. And, uh, and, and yeah. I also want to talk about, um, so you had talked about wanting to interact with other indigenous people in cannabis or, you know, I want to mm-hmm. talk about a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah, like this would be a good platform um, if anyone's listening and they are currently, you know, growing cannabis and wanting to break into maybe legal micro or, you know, your own indigenous land where um, there are a lot of those stores. And so I'm thinking that there must be a lot of growers <laughs> that might want to connect, you know, and I'm not really sure Um it's not appropriate to just like jump onto a reserve and like start asking questions, you know? So I'd rather people come to me or if anyone, you know, knows about what's going on with the legality of some of the, the reserve stuff and the, and the weed that's being grown and sold on sovereign nation. Like I really want to learn about what's going on and I want to be more connected, um, maybe bridge the gap, help, you know, I know some of the boring uh, Health Canada regulation stuff. So like, why not use it for good? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to pressure anyone. Or if you're thinking like, oh, maybe I could grow cannabis. That's not the people I'm looking for. I'm looking for the person that's like already doing it and yeah. just doesn't know where to get it past the growing stage. You know, you want to, you need somebody to sell it, right? Mm-hmm. Package yeah. it legally if that's something that anyone's interested in or even even any sort of Canadian you know indigenous board of growers like (laughs) if there's anything like that going on please come find me Mm -hmm. and that's something that I want to keep an ear to the ground as well um it's it's uh you know I'm going to do some work with some people who are working uh some in, in law and legal spaces and stuff like that with uh working with indigenous cases and stuff like that so yeah definitely something that needs development in this uh this country and um and i think that yeah so that's cool thank you or for maybe there's indigenous owned micro facilities already in the legal space that just don't have a partner mm-hmm. um that is what we do that is who i'm looking for um you know indigenous or not if you're a craft grower and you are in canada and you're struggling to figure out a partnership that works for you Tanner's super fair. Um, we want to export all our weed if we can. So anyone that might be interested in selling to us could also reach out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you so much, Jen. I also want to ask you about um, just, you know, what keeps you, what keeps you up at night? What gets you up in the morning? You know, what, what are the the things that you're, the, you know, that are going through your mind daily, day, day, day in and day out? Okay. I fall asleep so easily at night. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's because you work you you work your ass off. <laughs> yeah, like um, typically I get home anywhere between six and eight p.m. It just depends. Um, and so I'm damn tired. I just started ordering HelloFresh, so <laughs> that was gonna save my life. It's making me eat healthier, but it's taking up so much of my time. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I just come home cook food, eat food, go to bed. Nothing really keeps me up. I'm pretty good about balancing self-care and work stuff. Yeah. Definitely. Sometimes things keep me up and that would be the stress of like 
oh my gosh, like we just sent a shipment out to, you know, to Melbourne. Uh, how long is it going to sit in Dubai? It's 40 degrees on the tarmac, you know, like, are my, is my weed going to be okay? Right. Yeah. That would keep me up at night. Um, if somebody was having an issue here and I didn't feel like I helped resolve it or, you know, helped, you know, soften it. I mean, that kind of stuff keeps me up if I feel like my team is do- not doing great. Um, what gets me up in the morning is, I don't know. Morning is my favorite time. Mm-hmm. I love to be alive. So like I get up and I stretch and I'm happy and I'm in a good mood. I usually, that's when I do like a lot of my, like listening to podcasts or audiobooks or journaling. I journal almost every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I just try and stay aware, stay like in touch with today, I guess. And like, you know, I pray to have a good day and I smudge to stay protected and stay on my path. And just like, I just have a really good morning. I get up at five every day, sometimes four 30. Wow. Um, and I just like have those few hours to myself. And then I usually come in for between eight and nine. Mm-hmm. My day gets started here and it's like, it kicks off as soon as I hit the ground. Day to day, it's spicy or it's very rare if I come in and I'm like, oh, this day is dragging. I'm so bored, you know, like never. Are you working five days, six days? Have Like, do you have a day off every week? <laughs> yeah, I usually have the weekends off now oh, because good. my team is so awesome. So mm. we, we share responsibility of weekends. And because my entire team almost are uh, our picks, <laughs> it's helpful because we, you know, the, the plants still need to be you know, watered on the weekends. And, you know, until recently May, we had fish to take care of on the weekends. Um, And so me and my team are responsible for that. And so we split it up. So um, it's usually once every three or four weeks that I go in and then I'll do like two weeks in a row, I guess. So the weekend. Yeah, but I love the weekend. That's when I catch up. I can write back to these guys. I check out all the log notes. I'm like, damn, the plants look good. You know, like Mm -hmm. it's when I get my me time a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else you want to add anything for uh, growers that might be listening pointers anything yeah. like that fucking follow your dreams yeah <laughs> if you can dream it you can do it yeah. that's from uh oh shit what's that ice skating with will ferrell the guy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. if you can dream it you can do it honestly that goes without saying that's just that's the vibe that you exude and uh you're like, <laughs> you know i'm glad that you said it but it's that's just that's just your vibe and it's just it's, it's intoxicating it's fantastic oh thank you if you're a 40 year old woman and you're <laughs> in an office dead-end job you're hating your life you're looking at your partner and you're like ugh, you're not <laughs> Your kids moved out and you're good. You know what? Sell your house. Get rid of all your shit. Take your Jeep and get the fuck out of the city. Yes. Go do it. Do yep. it. That's my that's my message is like, it doesn't matter how old you are. Gary Vee will say it too. You're never too old to switch it up. You're supposed to change every mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. <laughs> the end yeah, yeah amazing thank you so much thank you for joining us um this was uh I'm just I'm so I'm so happy that we got to hang out the past <laughs> little while and work together yeah. on this story and uh this this podcast and um always of course love hearing what Stuart Farms is doing shout out to Tanner and Katrina and your grow team yeah. and everyone else and um yeah and and Mike for the pictures and and you know yeah. everyone yeah so cool everyone's um, excited to see the magazine mm-hmm. they- 
Me too. I'm excited. So uh, for everyone listening, the magazine podcast will be coming out around the same time. Uh, subscribe. You can receive a free issue to your abode or your facility. Um, yeah. And I will see you again here soon. I I, I suspect, Jen, um, I hope you have a beautiful <laughs> rest of your day. I suspect. And yes. uh, yeah, good luck with your harvest and, yeah, uh, and the rest of the year. Yes. Thank you, Haley. Thank you for tuning in today. If you haven't already, check out our latest issue on growopportunity.ca, where you might also subscribe to our weekly e-newsletter. Be sure to give us a follow on social. And again, I'm your host, Haley Nagasaki. We'll see you next time.